0: Hear the word of God from Esther chapters 3 and 4 and Psalm 106. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. We'll start with Psalm 106, verses 40 to 48. Therefore the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations, and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. Esther chapter three, we're starting in verse seven. <laughs> so in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim, to, de- to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March the seventh, nearly a year later, The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many of them lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant, she ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews, and he asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Good morning again, everybody. We're diving into part two in our study in the book of Esther, and the title of our series is God Behind the Scenes. Last week, we looked at the word providence and saw what it meant. We saw that providence is God's hidden hand in all of the universe, how he works and maneuvers his plans. And I don't know about you guys, but for some reason the feedback that I got from last week, when I hear the response from the sermon from last week, I heard so many of you say, that's what I needed to hear. Now, some of you guys are really nice, and you know that your pastor, you know, cries a lot when he's by himself, and, you know, doesn't feel good, but you guys all say nice things to him. But I think for some strange reason, this sermon resonated with a lot of you last week. I think for some reason, not just for some reason, I think the way we are as people, the sermon resonated with us because we often worry so much about what's going on in our lives. I feel like the common denominator for most all of us here is worry is a common theme in our lives. Anxiety is so heavy and I think the part of the reasons why it's so heavy is that we often so often feel like we are God we are in control and when we come face to face with the reality that we are not in control it crushes us so I think this theme guys I hope we, as we dive into this theme of God behind the scenes I want us to understand something I want us to get one of the messages the kind of the main points of this series is you are not God and that is good Let me say that again. You are not God, and it is good, and God is active, and God is moving in this world. He wasn't, he's not up in heaven saying, oh, I'll set the pieces in motion and see what happens. The book of Esther shows us that even when we don't see him moving, he's active, and he is moving. Heidelberg Catechism, question number 27, says what is the providence of God? And this is what it says. It is the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass rain and drought fruitful and barren years meat and drink health and sickness riches and poverty yea all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand all things last week we saw that providence is best understood like a hebrew word backwards We also saw last week the Heidelberg Catechism question 28 asks, what is the advantage of knowing the providence of God? And this is what it says. That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Are not two sparrows sold for a sin? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. I hope, you, I hope and pray that this understanding and look at providence has been helpful to you. Today we're going to do something a little different, so I want you to stay with me as we dive into this idea of providence and God's hidden hand in the universe and the world around us. In the book of Esther, chapter four, we have this awesome conversation recorded here that you just heard read to you between Mordecai and Esther. Even though they're not actually talking to each other, they're talking through a eunuch. And this conversation is happening. And we just learned that Mordecai just learned that Haman had done, um, basically was out there and weep, he's weeping, he's mourning because this incredible order from Haman and the king passed through that mass genocide is about to happen. And the whole Jewish people, children, young, old, m- women, children, men, all of them, would all going to be killed, murdered, and all their possessions will be taken in. And Mordecai hears this, and he's in mourning, he's weeping, he's praying, he's put on sackcloth, and he's going before God, he's walking around the city, and he's weeping, and Esther hears about this, It's like, Esther's like, what's going on? Mordecai says, hey, do you not know? This decree has happened, mass genocide is coming, so you need to do something about it, Esther. And Esther says, Mordecai, you, you know, if I do something, if I go to the king, it's pretty much death. I can't go to the king. He hasn't called on me in 30 days. If I go without being called on, it means death for me. And I love this. This is what, in, chapter, in verse 14, Mordecai says something absolutely amazing. He says this in the ESV. He says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. Basically, Mordecai said that even if you don't do anything, Esther, God will save his people. Huh? I mean, how can he say that? The most powerful nation in the known world at the time just passed the edict for mass genocide, and they had the power to do it. They conquered Jerusalem. They exiled its people. They had armies on armies. They had people on people. They seemed like there was actually only one chance There's only one chance that this could happen is that Esther, wow, happens to be the queen and she happens to be a Jew. So it seems like there's only one chance for God to do anything is is through Esther. But Mordecai doesn't say that. He says something totally different. He says, even if you don't do anything, Esther, God will raise someone else. Here's Mordecai, and he's weeping, he's praying for his people, but he says they had the audacity to literally say to the one person that seems like the one person that has a chance to do something, even if you don't do anything else, for you, it's okay. Because God will do something. How in the world does he get that sort of confidence? How in the world can he look at overwhelming odds and still say God will find a way? How does Mordecai approach his life in such a manner? Ultimately, how can we? Mordecai believed in the promises given in the covenant to his father's fathers fathers, and father's fathers before him. He heard and believed that when God told Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars and one day be a blessing to the nations and that God will be their God and they will be his people. Mordecai remembered the stories of the people being rescued from slavery, taken through the wilderness and brought to the promised land. He heard about King David and the Messiah that was to come. Mordecai believed that there was a sovereign God who was in control and who will rescue his people. So because of this belief, he had such hope and confidence that odds didn't threaten him. Circumstance couldn't sway him. He believed. My people, where does your confidence for the future come from? Where does your confidence for the now come from? It's because you have a good job. And you say, well, at least I have a good job. It's because you're smart and you work really hard. It's because you have money in your bank account. It's because you're well-liked. Where does your confidence for the now and the future come from? Because can I tell you something? Mordecai's came from the past remembering and the promises of a good God. And we, even now, have more than Mordecai has ever had. Guys, Mordecai's confidence came from the fact that in the Bible over and over and over again, he saw God's people being rescued out of incredible circumstances. When the most powerful nation, Egypt, had them as slaves, they were rescued again. And when they were wandering tribes through the wilderness, when other tribes and kingdoms were in place, they were able to be rescued again and again and then given a promised land. And even when they were cast out and exiled, he still believed that God will rescue Guys, do you have the confidence that Mordecai has? What's your confidence in? And I ask that question because honestly, isn't that our issue, right? So many of us, we strive and we run this rat race, we go on the hamster wheel, we go throughout so many motions of life, just thinking, okay, I just need to save enough, do enough, get enough, be able because I want to feel safe enough, right? Isn't safety one of our number one desires? As we try to build up confidence in so many other things, Guys, we have something that Mordecai never had. We have the fulfillment of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant. Jesus is the fulfiller of the law and comes as the new Moses authoritatively delivering his own commandments to love God and to love people. In this new covenant, Jesus himself is the basis of our forgiveness of sins because he gave himself up as a sacrifice to make the just, uh, unjust just. The new covenant is this, I want you to hear this, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1:27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our good news. This is our gospel hope. This new covenant that Jesus establishes and keeps. Our confidence is that Jesus is our new covenant. Jesus is in us. Jesus is our glory. Jesus is our salvation. And our confidence comes not from our own ability to work out life. It comes from Jesus' ability to live the perfect life and died the sacrificial death in our place. The new covenant is only as powerful as the giver of the promise right a promise is only as powerful as the one who gives the promise if i tell tell nathan if we're walking down the street together and i say nathan trust me it's okay looks like a dangerous street but i'll protect you that promise is only as good as my ability to protect nathan right if like a bunch of ryan's come up and says i'm gonna beat nathan up i'm gonna be like oh nathan sorry i couldn't keep up my promise I'm just not able to beat up a bunch of rides. I just, I say a bunch of rides. I can take one, no, just kidding. <laughs> I can't take one. It's bad. But, <laughs> but that's what the promise is. The promise is only as, as powerful as the one who made the promise, right? If someone more powerful than me comes and says, no, I'm gonna harm Nathan, I can't do anything about it. Well, our promise is given by the all-powerful creator, triune God. His will will be done. His purposes will be accomplished. This is what I want us to get today. Guys, if I can convey anything to you, your confidence is this, that the powerful creator, triune God, has made a promise to you, and he will keep it. We, talk about, we celebrate Pentecost today, and one of the things we, is, is, is this idea of what God has given us through the ascension of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to say, well, isn't Pentecost when we celebrate the Holy Spirit? Yes, but the Holy Spirit is here because Jesus ascended. Right? He says, yeah, I have to leave so that the counselor can come, right? And we have this incredible theology that's built because the ascension has happened. Because the ascension has happened, we have so much, so much for us. And this is our confidence, What our confidence could be. And our confidence is in the new covenant. Our confidence is in our Savior that's ascended. I got some of the following stuff from Russell Moore and Wayne Grudem. It's so good. I want you to hear this. Number one. The ascension means that as Christians, we're always connected to God. We're connected to Jesus by faith as, as a head is with the body. So we're connected to Jesus by faith as with the head is with the body. Well, our head is seated now at the right hand of God the Father, always in God's presence. This is true of us also. We often think that our nearness to God is based on our strength of our faith or our ability to see what God is doing. That assumes that I was coming to God without a mediator. Our nearness to God is in Christ, our mediator, and Jesus hasn't moved. Can I say that again to you guys? We often feel like our nearness to God is based on, do I really believe today? Am I close to God? Or do I really see the way he's working and moving? And we think it's our our own ability to do it. Can I tell you something? Your ability, your nearness to God is not based on your ability. It's based on, by faith, you're connected to Jesus, and Jesus is always with God. So what does that equate to for you then? That you're always near. Do you hear that? That you're always near and you have a mediator who's always ever pleading before you. That's confidence. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. That nothing can take you away from his presence. Nothing is powerful enough because he is all powerful. God has promised you this through his ascension. Two. Ascension gives us assurance that the end is secure. We know the result of our lives. There is a final home for us, with many rooms prepared. Jesus said He will go and prepare a place for us, so that where He is, we can also be. Do you get this? He literally said this. He said to this, "Hey guys, relax. I go ahead if you can prepare a nice little pillow, puffed up for you, nice comforter, which I don't like. I like just a sheet, but that's what He's got for me." I'm just saying. I just wanted you to know that in case you guys were ever preparing a bed for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> he got a room prepared for you. Our final result is victory. There's a place prepared for you. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. I mean, this is where we get to go. I don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Do not forget. Do not, do not negate the, the, the resurrection. Do not negate heaven. Do not get our future destination. Don't forget about it, don't choose not to think about it. We, as a Christian, have a win-win. Do you hear this? We're in a win-win situation as a Christian because if we die, we win. And if we live, we live for Christ, so we win. That's pretty awesome. I like win-win situations. That if I die, I get to go home to the room that my Jesus has prepared for me. And if I live, it's only because Jesus has worked for me to be finishing here, it's a win. That's how you have confidence for tomorrow and confidence for today. You know the end. There's a room prepared for you. We live in a win-win. Do you believe that? Do you choose to believe that? Three, because of the ascension, we are able to share now in Christ's authority over the universe. Ephesians 2.6 says this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The fact that God has made us sit with Christ means that we share in some measure in the authority that Christ has. This authority to contend against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. Ephesians 6:12. Authority to help remake what was wrong in the world. He's given us authority. He's called us, get this, I want you to hear this. He's called us co-heirs alongside Christ. And typically, when we think of heirs, we think of what do we inherit? We think of this idea, oh, cool, do I get like a car or a house or money? We think of that. But guys, back, back in the day, when you inherited what a king had, you weren't just in- inheriting the goods, you were inheriting the title. You were inheriting the responsibility. You were inheriting the mission. Hear this. As we are co-heirs, yes, we get all the gifts that Christ's work has done. We get to be called sons of God and daughters of God. We get to have everlasting life. But we also get, get this, the mission of Christ to make all things new. As co-heirs, we also get his authority to move in this world and to create and to shape and to redeem. How incredible is that? And I it you just confidence today that he's seated his authority. We also have authority alongside Christ's authority. For lastly, the ascension tells us what's really going on around us. At the session, Jesus moved from visible realm to the invisible realm. He did not become inactive. Right now, God is moving history along so that all things are ultimately placed under the feet of Jesus as creation's rightful ruler. Jesus is enthroned. This is comforting to us. This needs to free us from our fears. We're not at the whim of whatever political happening, whatever economic happening, whatever move is happening at the world around us. There's chaos in the world, but it has no power over us. God has raised Jesus, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every rule, authority, power, economic situation, political situation, terror situation in the world. It has no fear over us because Jesus is ascended and he sits enthroned. Do you hear that? Do you see that we have so much more to be confident in than Mordecai? We need to look at the future and say, God will find a way when there seems to be no way. God's purposes will be accomplished. We need to have patience in adversity, gratefulness and prosperity, and confidence in the future. That's our identity. That's what we should be living and walking and breathing in every day. But, We often don't, do we? Right? We forget way too quickly. I mean, we forget so quickly that God is rescued over and over and over again. We forget so quickly that God is provided over and over and over again. And we forget so quickly that Jesus is enthroned, that he is in charge, that he gives us confidence, that he calls us to a purpose, that he is the one who gives us mission, but we over and over again rely on ourselves and what we can build up for ourselves and the treasures that we can store. So did the Israelites, by the way, right? How many of you guys, when you read the Bible, you're like, like, idiots. Often, right, we do that all the time. We read the Bible like, dude, are you serious? God just did what and you're doing what? Why are you so dumb? Yeah. I bet you somebody reading the Bible of Lawrence right now, they're they're looking at Lawrence's life in the Bible and be like, oh, idiot. Oh, once again, dumb. How many times do you see God provide and you're still questioning? What's wrong with you? We're all idiots. I'm gonna say that again. We're all idiots. I'm sorry if that shocks you today. I don't care how many PhDs you may have. We're all sinners and we forget way too quickly. So the Israelites did something They partied. They're like, what? What is Lawrence going with this? Here's what happened. At the end of this passage, at the end of Esther, what happened? They had a festival of what? What was it called? Right, right, Purim. What happened at the end of Esther, they're like, you know what's a good idea? Let's party so that we don't forget that God saved us. Right? That's what they do. Look at all their feasts, that's what they do. They say, you know what, we forget really easily. We need a party so we don't forget. We need to celebrate, right? Look what they do, they raise Ebenezer's. they raise monuments, they raise statues, they dedicate things to be like, oh, this is where God saved us from this. This is what happened here, God took us and here's this festival. They do this, why? Because they're like us, they're dumb. They forget way too quickly. Can I ask you guys a question, as a family? When was the last time you created a celebration or a reminder of God's faithfulness in your life? Do you guys do that? Is that a practice in your family? It should be. We were, Gina and I were talking about, um, about a year ago, we got Hudson into our home, we had gotcha day. And I, love, I love that word, gotcha day, it's such a cool day. That's when we gotcha Hudson, we gotcha. And we were able to celebrate gotcha day. And that's gonna be a day that we celebrate for the rest of our lives, the day God brought Hudson into our family. It's our gotcha day. A day of God's providence, of his goodness, of his provision. What are your gotcha days? What are those things that you created in your family structures that we celebrate? Here's what God brought us out of. Guys, how many, I mean, you guys have those stories. Here's a problem, we're not sharing them enough. We're not celebrating them enough. And here's the deal. When I was working on the sermon this week, uh, me, Danny, and Eric were sitting together. We're talking about throughout history. Look at God's providence. Look at his hand at work. We're talking about his move in Acts and his move in the church in China and his move in all these places. I had all these cool stories I want to share with you guys. But you know what? I decided after my small group, I decided, you know what? Those are all great stories, but I want to hear your stories too. Because that's what church is here for you as well. When we celebrate God's provision and providence in each other's lives, we remind each other that God is moving and he is active. And we see him moving in your life, maybe then we can say with confidence he'll move in mine. Right? So here's what we're going to do. For those of you guys, this might feel uncomfortable, but we're just going to do it anyway. Is I'm going to ask you to volunteer to say, I have a story. I have a story of God's provision in my life, how God provided and made a way where there seemed like there was no way. I have a story of God did something in my life where he miraculously looked like there was random string of events or coincidences, but it led to this. And I look back like a Hebrew word, reading from from the opposite way, from right to left instead of left to right. When I look back on it, I see God's hand at work. I see what God's doing. And I ask you to share this because one, God gets the glory. But two, we need to hear it. We want to celebrate with you But we also need to be reminded of God's goodness and his provision. So who wants to share?
2: Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I already knew he was gonna do this, so I have a story. Um, I'm Gita Yu, I'm Lawrence's wife. Um, Brief testimony, he said two minutes, so brief. Um, Six years ago, I was pregnant with Josiah, our oldest son, and I heard a voice or a thought in my head, you're going to have a special needs child. And I was like, the first time I heard it, I was like, no, I'm busy. I cannot do that. I am working. Lawrence is working. Um, we're about to plan a church. We're about to start a practice, which you have calls to do. So no, we're busy. Um, we kept hearing that. I, I just shared it with Lawrence, but I kept hearing it again. And again, the second time, I was like, OK, well, I do love kids, and I'm very good with kids with special needs. But again, we're busy. Um, fast forward three years, just I was three years old and we're sitting at the pediatric psychiatry office and the psychiatrist is like, yes, he's on the autism spectrum. And so at this point, we've already planted a church, I've already started my practice and we are busy, we're truly busy. And um, the Lord did not call me at that time to stay home. I was like, fine, I'll quit my job, I could stay home. He did not call us to do that and um, it seemed like, whoa, what are we going to do? We have a child high-functioning autism, but still clearly on the spectrum. And looking back, the Lord has provided somebody to take care of Josiah. Overqualified um, women who love the Lord, who love Josiah like their own son, and over and over again um, provided so that we we could continue to work, as he's called us to do at this time. Um, And these women who have, have gifts and masters and um, over, again, overqualified women who have loved him and uh, provided a way to help him develop over these years. Um, Fast forward to last summer. Last summer, Josiah's four, about to turn five. This is his last year before he starts kindergarten and our thoughts at this time, Lawrence and I are thinking, we can't start kindergarten. He is not ready for kindergarten. He cannot speak. Like full dialogue. He still speaks two to three word sentences. I have yet to have a conversation with my son. That's a true dialogue. He can't start kindergarten. Um, but the Lord's like, you need to ask me, and you need to pray. So, that's why I take him to pray with Miss Ruby. But other people, <laughs> um, Waypoint Warrior Prayer Warriors, I've been praying for Josiah this past year. Um, so, fast forward. A couple months ago, we have three choices for Josiah's kindergarten. Um, one, to hold him back. Um, and because we feel it still, though there's been progression, maybe he's not 100 percent ready just to be like a typical child in kindergarten. Number two, um, number two, which is our actually plan A. Plan A, the school that would allow us to almost like transition Josiah the best with a one-on-one, but we are on the waiting list. And then uh, number three, just throw him into Gen Ed public school. And say survive if you can. Um, so those were our three options. A m- couple of months ago, um, on fr- Fast Forward Friday, Friday Lawrence and I are driving to Creekside to hear about our, his placement. And all of his preschool teachers are like, No, he's he needs special ed. He needs self-contained. He cannot be in general ed. And Lawrence and I think, no, he shouldn't be in special ed, self-contained. He is high-functioning, he is didactically able to do these things, Um, but we were just almost like driving to our, okay, fine, they're gonna tell us he needs special ed. And as we get to the driveway of Creekside, the, um, the plan A head administrator calls us and say, hey, you're not on the waiting list anymore. You are into our school. It's the Lord's timing, Lawrence and I are bawling at this point. Um, Because throughout this whole process with Josiah, I know the Lord. I believe in his will. We believe in his providence. But sometimes I'm like, well, I guess you don't have to do that. You can make me suffer some more. You know, like I question his will. Um, As if he doesn't know Josiah the best and know what's provided for him the best. Um, But we were actually um, went into the, continued on and went into the Creekside meeting, and they actually rec- recommended general ed as well. Um, no one-on-one or anything, this is what we were asking for. They didn't give us that, but, um, but now we have like two wonderful options for him. Um, probably going to take the first one, um, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, but just kind of fast-forwarding through Josiah's life and on the spectrum and two working parents and to parents who want to minister and continue to do that, um, we just praise God and know that He will glorify Himself through Josiah's life continually.
1: Anybody else to share? Stand up,
3: okay. Hey, I'm Sarah. Um, so last uh, August, we had just started coming to Waypoint actually, um, we were thinking of transitioning from another church in the area that we'd been at for like seven years. Um, we uh, have three kids, um, we live in South Durham, and uh, my I'm from Germany originally, and my family lives in Germany. And so at the end of last August, I got a call from my mom saying that she had just been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. And it was a a real surprise, Uh, was not expected. And my mom cares for, or cared for my dad, who is 17 years older than her. Um, So six days later, I was on a plane with two of our kids to Germany to be with my mom. Um, And we didn't really know how that was gonna work out. I had just gotten back to work from maternity leave. I just taken all my FMLA and Lance, my husband, who's standing in the back, um, he had just taken a lot of his PTO um, to take paternity leave because we figured he had the PTO, why not take it? Um, didn't seem like we were gonna need it for anything else. And so um, I went over and then three weeks later, Lance came with our son. So we were all over in Germany. And at this point, we don't know. We know my mom's life expectancy is pretty short, but we don't really know how long it is. Um, so we're there. We're looking after my dad, who has dementia and a lot of motor problems, and has a pretty high caregiver burden, actually. Um, and we're also starting to look after my mom, who is starting chemo and is starting to be sicker. And every month or so we're calling our bosses going, yeah, so we're still here and we don't really know how long we're gonna be here and we don't really, we can't really tell you anything. Um, But Lance was in the middle of transitioning from one job to the next, so his old job just let him go on leave right away. His new job said they were gonna hold his job for him. Um, And my work, it turned out, so I called my boss and it turned out that my work has like a family leave option that's different from FMLA um that i was able to take and you can take all your pto and sick hours that you've accumulated during that and um just a weird set of circumstances by which, over the last five years, I had first been in one department and then in another, and the way that they handled leave was different. Um, I had accumulated a large number of leave that I, I wasn't allowed to take in my new department, but on this kind of leave I was, and so I was actually able to take six months' leave with pay, which was enough to like cover all our ongoing bills um, for us to be over there, so we were able to stay there until my mom passed away in January um, and then God provided a, a place at a nursing home for my dad so we were able to kind of get him settled there before coming home um, and that was just when we f- for most of the time we were there like we couldn't see into the future it felt like we were walking blind into the future we didn't really know how long we were going to be needed there um, and Every time we called our work, they just kind of said, it's okay, your job's still here. You just keep doing what you need to do. Um, And the time we were there was really, really hard, um, looking after two pretty sick people and then having three kids and us all living together in one house. Um, But it always felt like every time I was, every time something happened that my mom got worse or, something was more overwhelming. It always felt like right at that time, somebody came. Um, it was, sometimes it was my cousin who would just drive to take this nine hour bus journey from Italy, um, but it's like someone always arrived right when um, things were really tough. Um, so it just felt like God was with us um, and providing for our needs while we walked through that. And there was a lot of people here praying for us too, so thank you for that.
1: Next:
4: Okay, I haven't used a mic in a long time, so'm making sure this works. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. Um, so this one, not a family member involved. this one's mostly me. Um, you talk about having a day that you um, that you celebrate. <laughs> For me, that's December 6th, December 7th, 2014. Um, This is a weird thing to celebrate, but uh, I found myself waking up in one of Wake County's wonderful uh, medical or uh, mental hospitalization units, uh, Holly Hill, for those of you that have been there. And it was, uh, it was a rough time where I was put in there because I was considered a danger to myself at the time. And uh, obviously, could not be trusted, had to have the police take me there. It was the darkest period of my life I've ever been in. Um, and if not for the Lord, I would not have made it through that time and I would not be talking to any of you today. And uh, you know, well, While I was there, you know, I was talking to counselors, having to, you know, kind of figure out what was going on with my life. And and the net positive was I found out all the signs that had been in front of me that, you know, sometimes you're an idiot and you don't notice it. (laughs) Diagnosed with bipolar disorder and my life got tremendously better. But the, the best person that I met there was actually the guy that I was rooming with for a few days. And he literally stayed asleep for the first two and a half days I was there. I never saw him move from his bed. And it wasn't until the, like the last night before I left that, uh, that he woke up and we were sitting around watching TV. And he sits down and, uh, and he starts talking to me. and He says, you know, man, I've been in jail about six different times. I've started my own business and watched it crumble before me. My dad was abusive. My sister and I had to sit around and watch my mom die. And my sister that was the one steady rock in my life, I had to watch her pass away from cancer. He said. You know this is my fifth time being in here, and I'll probably be in here again and had I not you know had the cops not come and got me this last time, you know you wouldn't be talking to me either and uh, And he looked in, and he's like, "The best advice I can give you right now, you know at twenty two years old look at the, look at the puzzles that they give us here while we're here, and uh, we looked at all the little puzzles that people would put together and they would hang them on the wall and he, and he said, "Now what is that i'm like I don't know man a picture he's like okay good you're catching on what happens if there's a piece missing from there i don't know man it's not a picture anymore he said that's it's not anything and here's the thing kid you're not one of those periphery edge pieces in that puzzle you're surrounded by people that rely on you they care about you i was teaching at the time and uh, and he told me he's like look if you took yourself out it's not just going to be your family those aren't going to be the only people that care about and miss you. It's going to be some kid that was in the middle of the room that you never thought about, but, you know, that kid comes from an abusive background and thinks to himself, you know what, look at this young guy. He made something of himself. He's doing something right now. I can do that. And what happens with that kid if you don't show up the next day and he comes to find out, oh, Mr. Davenport took himself out. Maybe there is no hope. So he said, you got to go be that puzzle piece. You're not allowed to give up. And uh, I don't think I've ever really told anybody that story. So, you know, the Lord is good.
1: See, the Lord's hand, even at work through, maybe that guy was there so that you can be the one that he talks to ministers to and see the hand at work there. Anybody else?
5: Hey guys, it's my second time here. (laughs) Um, My name is Amir, to those who don't know me. I'm friends of Lindsay and Sam, and those two also. Uh, (laughs) And um, so I just returned from India about uh, three weeks ago, and this is really a story uh, about that. Um, So I am originally from Guyana, I was raised in a Hindu and Muslim uh, household. I grew up Muslim. And in 2009, I moved to Queens, New York. And then in 2017, I moved to Kansas City, Missouri uh, to do a program called Fusion. Um, And that's a program I just finished. Uh, And while I was in India, I was in this uh, place called West Bengal in the Sundarbans. And while we were there, we didn't really have a a translator. Uh, We were, uh, me and another partner, we were just in the village, just just with a bunch of Bengalis who don't speak any English. Uh, And for a particular training, uh, we went into kind of a city area and no one showed up, which happens most of the time. So, uh one of the translator that one of my partner had before, he comes from a Muslim background also. And uh, we went to visit him and he was only an hour away from the training that had failed. And my partner just said, "Hey man, like this guy, uh, he's the only he's the only uh convert in his entire village. Um and it's it's just a bunch of muslims village. He's the only one uh his family forced him to get married to a Muslim girl um, like when he when he was first a believer uh, his family tried to kill him um, and chop him up into pieces uh, and so he has a really wild story and so when we uh, when we got there I just I got to pray for him and just encourage him and just share my testimony with him uh, and so just taking a step back after that encounter with him I just got to see from a kid from Guyana Uh, who moved to New York City and then Kansas City. Um, I had to go all the way to India just to encourage this fellow uh, Muslim background believer. And it was really cool.
1: Very cool. Anybody else? We hear stories, testimonies of God putting and placing and moving and operating in such a way that he provides. We've heard it again, and I, for one, lived the first story. Yet, why do I still worry so much about my son? Why do I still worry about how he's going to be, how what's going to happen when his future is going to hold? My God loves Josiah more than I do. And these are times like this when we share these stories where we can remind ourselves, God is in control. Will you relax? Will you trust? Will you have the faith that Mordecai had when he said, listen, even if you don't save him, somebody will. We have the faith that Mordecai literally says, I don't know how, I don't know where, but you know what? God can just make it happen because he's God, he's good, and his will will be done. Guys, can I tell you, that doesn't mean that everything that you want happen will happen. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, Josiah tomorrow is going to wake up, and he's going to have the best conversation. He's going to ace kindergarten, and he's going to be like, this is what? This is nothing. That doesn't mean that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have anything hard happen. It does mean that you have a win-win. It does mean that what does happen is in God's planning, and he's bigger and better, and he's in control. It does mean that no matter what happens, we have a win-win, that our future is secure, his will will be done, and his kingdom will advance. We can look at the future and say, I have confidence. We can look at the now and today and say, I have confidence. My people, we can fight against anxiety that so overwhelms so many of us. We can fight against anxiety that threatens to overwhelm us. We can fight against fear that often paralyzes us. It says we, as Christians, we have an ascended Jesus, we have a win-win. Do we choose to believe? Guys, can we help remind each other? In your families, will you create monuments? Will you create festivals? Will you create parties? I love parties. We can have church-wide parties, too. Anytime you guys want, you're like, listen, this just happened. This is God's providence. I'm going to throw a party. Do it. Throw another one of those parties. I love it. Why don't we only have parties based on, like, sporting events? Don't get me wrong. I love a Super Bowl party. But how about next time you throw a party? You know what? God just provided this, but I couldn't think of any other way he provided this. I'm having a party. Do that next time. So that we can all come in and say, God is good. And we can stay together. And we can remind each other. And your families, let's talk about the day that God rescued, God saved, God provided. Let's have monuments to that. Let's celebrate that. Let's remind each other. And church, in our churches, let's celebrate and let's continue to remind each other God is in charge and he's worthy of all praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being sovereign, for being good, and for giving us the win-win in Jesus Christ. God, may we remember And we'd not be too soon to forget. You are working. You are moving. You are always active. Thank you for the work. In Jesus' name, amen.